Hi, I'm Carlos Del Rio, president of IDSA. Thank you for joining me for an episode of Let's Talk ID. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Jasmine Marcelin, who's a fellow member of the IDSA Board of Directors. In fact, we're recording this episode during the March meeting of the board. Jasmine, thank you for joining me. You have served on the IDSA Board of Directors for about two and a half years, and this, is, in fact, is your last year of service. I want to get your thoughts about your time on the board, but I would like to first talk about your career path in infectious disease. Like me, you're an international medical graduate. What was your path that led you to training in the U.S.? Thanks for having me, Carlos. I am excited to have this conversation and sad that I am looking at the end of my time on the board. My pathway to infectious disease is one that was circuitous, starting on the beautiful island of Dominica in the West Indies. I knew I wanted to be a doctor when I was about eight years old, but I didn't know what infectious disease specialist was at that time. The biggest physician influence in my life, though, was a public health focused physician who also happened to be my primary doctor, Dr. Carissa Etienne. She was the one who helped me to decide on becoming a physician. And as I moved through my life from that point onwards, I made every decision to want to get myself closer to that goal. It wasn't until I was in residency in internal medicine that I realized that infectious disease was the specialty for me. And when I looked back at all of the experiences that I had since my childhood, when I was about 10, I did a science fair project that instead of, you know, doing, you know, the volcanoes that the, everybody else would do, I wanted to focus on how mosquito-borne diseases were spread in Dominica and how to prevent TB from being spread. And like I said, I didn't know what infectious disease was back then, but when I was a second-year internal medicine resident and, and trying to decide between infectious disease and hemonc, I realized that the patients that really spoke to me were the ones that had infections and I, I wanted to do something about treating them and, and helping to get them to a place where they could live their lives normally despite whatever other conditions that they might have. So you went to the Mayo Clinic to do your infectious disease fellowship and then you moved to the University of Nebraska where you're now in faculty. Tell us a little bit about your focus in infectious disease today. Today, I am doing primarily general infectious disease. I spend all of my hospital inpatient time, which is about eight to 10 weeks per year, on the infectious disease teaching service. And then currently, I have about one half day per week with the ID fellows in the HIV clinic. Other than that, I spend a lot of my time with the residency program as an internal medicine associate program director. I I spent some time with the medical school doing different educational pieces and doing lectures for the medical students. Teaching is a huge part of what I do. I definitely consider myself to be um, a clinician educator, big C, big E, and enjoy both of those aspects of my job. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly an area of infectious disease that people don't realize, but it's growing a lot, right? The clinician educator we know in many of our hospitals or our places, the ID physicians are frequently the best teachers. And now we have actually seen the clinician educator grow as a large group. I guess we'll have another podcast that will talk more about clinician educators. But clearly, you are 
an example of the kind of successful clinician educators that we all want, aspire to see more. I couldn't see myself doing anything else, honestly. If I And I tell people this all the time. If I had to go to another place for a job and they told me you couldn't teach, I would not take that job. So tell me a little bit about your early experiences with IDSA. How did you first learn about IDSA? How did you get involved? What made you interested in getting involved with the society? So my first, my very first exposure to IDSA was as an internal medicine resident. I submitted an abstract for presentation and it got rejected. <laughs> that, so that was my very first entry. But I realized that, you know, this was a society that was for infectious disease clinicians. And at that time, I hadn't decided on infectious disease yet and was still debating on whether or not I should go into Himank for that short period of time. And during my fellowship, I became more um, intimately acquainted with IDSA. Our, my fellowship program provided us with memberships to IDSA or allowed us to be able to go to the ID Week meeting. So I had a chance to see like what the science was and all of those things. But I didn't really feel when I was a fellow, I don't really know where my place was in IDSA at that point. And it wasn't until my first faculty position at UNMC that I really started to feel my, what I could consider myself to be my professional home where I could feel like I have, I found my people that I've been reflecting on that a lot and and why I felt the way that I did when I was in training versus once I became a faculty member. And I think part of the reason is at the time when I was training, I honestly didn't know that there were other ID physicians out there that looked like me, that there was a you know whole cadre of people, a community, even though small, but that they existed. And so I used to wander around the ID Week meetings, kind of just feeling alone and not really sure of what my place was. But once I became faculty and I was very interested in the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the specialty and, and in the society itself, I was able to connect with a lot of different people. And so then suddenly IDSA kind of became that professional home and I could find folks who were like me that were doing this kind of work and be able to connect with them. Yeah, I mean, you've really been an important advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion. So how does that fit into your involvement with IDSA? I wanted to be a part of an organization that walked the talk. It's easy for folks to pledge to do different things, but I, I wanted to know what was the driving force? Why do people, why do the organizations want to make the change that they want to do? And, and what are the actual initiatives that are in place? And so what allowed me to see that was my one of my very first uh, interactions with the CEO, Chris Buskey, who was at the time that I was in first year faculty member. And I think I had been on faculty at UNMC for maybe two months. He was doing his listening tours because he had just joined as a as the CEO at that time. And he stopped in Nebraska. And I asked him some tough questions about what was IDSA's mission and vision as far as diversity, equity, and inclusion in the society? And, and how were they going to make room for people like me to feel like, like we belong in, in IDSA? 
ISA and totally did not know what to expect in terms of, you know, what the answer to that question was. But I was impressed by the fact that he took the question and he was able to give me some concrete examples of things that were already being done. So some of the things that he talked about at that time was, you know, the gender disparity task force and some of the work that had been starting to be done by the program committee for ID Week, et cetera. And then he gave me his card and said, you know, if you're interested, please reach out. And then he reached out to me to follow up. So that kind of was a signal to me that this was more than just a pledge or words. And so at that point, I said, okay, well, this is something that I want to invest my time in. I want the society to be not only a place where I feel like I belong, but I want to be able to recruit others into it and make it so that all of us have a new community here in IDSA. You and I first met, I'm trying to recall whether it was through Twitter or we met at a meeting many years ago, but I think we became very good friends on, on Twitter. And I would recommend to all our listeners that if you don't follow Jasmine, you do that. Uh, she's on Twitter as J.R. Marcelin. And, and please follow her. She's a, she's a great source of information and of, of many things ID related. But you decided to throw your hat into the board. And frequently people think the board is for more experienced people or mature people. What made you throw your hat in to be considered for the board? And what were you thinking about it? <laughs> Well, I wanted to see somebody like me on the board. At the time, the years before that, I'm, I'm thinking about like during the times when I was a trainee and my early years on faculty, I wanted to see more representation of somebody that looked like me, somebody that had my perspectives, not just in terms of you know my race and ethnicity and my identification as a black woman but also i felt like there was an opportunity for just different perspectives from somebody who was more recently out of training i was not sure if i was considering this too early in my career because of what you said that perception that you had to have kind of paid your dues in time and gray hair <laughs> so to speak, although I do have quite a few now since uh, the pandemic started, that maybe I was I was too young. How many years out of fellowship you were? Two, three years, I think, out of fellowship. I, I definitely hesitated. I thought at the end of it, what's the worst that could happen? And I think I, I, think I actually called you. You did. To tell you like, hey, I, I'm, I'm having this, you know, wild thought about applying to be on the board should I wait? And then you were just like, why, why would you wait? And I was like, well, but I'm like, I'm not, I didn't want to say that I'm not old enough. <laughs> but I said, I didn't, I don't have enough experience, or I'm too young out of fellowship or whatnot. And, and you told me something that was really important. You said you have something very important to share, and you have value to bring to the board of directors. And it doesn't matter when you graduated from fellowship, you have this value. And People should hear what you have to say. And that really stuck with me. I think if perhaps if I had not had that conversation with you at that time, I might have convinced myself to wait a little bit longer that I wasn't quite ready enough and I needed to do X, Y and Z things before I applied. And it was really intimidating to think about it. But I'm, I'm glad that I did because it has 
been a really enlightening experience for me being on the board of directors. I definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome going into it. Like I, I looked at the people, everybody else who was on the board, including those who had joined at the same time as me. And some folks had had prior board experience. Some people were, you know, like division chiefs or vice chairs of the departments and things like that. And I was an assistant professor, a couple years out of fellowship. At the end of the day, I agreed with you that I had a lot to say. And I felt like what I had to say was worth people listening to. And I wanted that chance. Yes. I mean, I think it's, it's really important to realize that if you have something to contribute, that contribution is going to be valued. And as you said, diversity, equity, inclusion as a core strategy for IDSA, I think you clearly had something to contribute. And with diversity, equity, inclusion being a, a core strategy for IDSA and one that, you know, it's a road. We have a long way to go. I mean, we've made progress, but we have a long way to go to get there. We needed people like you on the board. And more importantly, as you said, you had something to say, but we had something to, to hear. We had something to listen you know, you look at the board and you say, there weren't a lot of people like you on the board. So when you say, I wanted to see somebody like me on the board, well, the, the best person to be like you was actually you. <laughs> and, and that to me is, I think, an important component. So you sort of the board, you've been on the board now for two and a half years. Have you felt yourself hurt? Have you, have you felt that the time commitment you made has paid off? Have you been satisfied serving on the board? Tell us about your board experience. This has been such a fulfilling experience for me. First of all, there's a lot that I've learned about the organization, how things work, why things work the way that they do, what sort of thoughtfulness and intention goes into decisions that are made or you know, statements that are put out or what goes into ID week or even just all of these things before coming onto the board you knew that there was a lot of organization and, and talent and, and effort that goes into them. But for me personally, I didn't, I didn't really have that sense of exactly how much. And then also allowing me to understand the full extent and, and breadth of the staff of IDSA. I mean, my gosh, I, you, so as a member, I think people might not realize how the organization actually is run by these amazing staff members who are so helpful. And if you're kind of siloed in one particular interest area, you might be familiar with one staff member. But then being on the board, you get a sense of all of the things that have to happen and all of the people that need to be a part of this conversation in order for it to work. So I learned a tremendous amount. I definitely felt like my contributions were valued from day one. I felt like I could say things that were meaningful to me and that people would listen and that we would have good discussions. And I learned part of the art of having a really thoughtful disagreements <laughs> on different issues and so forth and being able to navigate how to communicate the way that I feel about certain things to a group of people in a way that I can you know, get my point across and also receive other people's points of view. 
because this is a really a mixed bunch, a diverse group of individuals from different stages of their lives, different stages of their careers with different backgrounds. And I realized that the things that I brought to the table, while maybe clinically there might be some overlaps with some other folks, I was bringing some very unique experiences to the table. And so were each of the other folks who who is a part of the board. And when you take a step back and think about the over the board as a group, the realization that each of those members is really well selected by the leadership development committee to support the strategic values and goals of the organization, but it's not one person that is doing all of that. The whole unit is doing that work. And so I've learned a lot and I felt really fulfilled throughout this time. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Now I'm going to ask you sort of a personal question. I mean, it's clearly, it's a big time commitment. Yes. And it's clearly challenging to balance your service on the board with your work with being a mother, with with young kids. How, how do you do that? So I knew it would be a time commitment, but it's important to kind of just be transparent with folks about, you know, what, like, what does that time commitment actually mean? Yes, there's meetings. When the meetings occur, there's always time to try to make it so that it's not conflicting with work or other things. But my husband and I just kind of like put stuff on our calendar so that we know, okay, well, I have a meeting at this time and so I can't help with dinner at this time. That's one thing. Some of the other the other commitments like reviewing guidelines or having conversations about different issues or strategies and whatnot that would take up time. And for me, I am the type of personality that I, I'm very detailed. I like to really look through things. Things took time that maybe I did not anticipate that when I was going into it. But what I found was I was able to learn how to budget. This is board time. Then this is my work and this is my family. I start using a planner especially in the last year or so, the planner has been really helpful. I viewed it as very important and essential service to my organization, even though it is a time commitment, it is time that I, I want to give. Actually, when I do my annual evaluations with my division chief, we kind of we always talk about like where is the service and all of that stuff. And I always say in my evaluation, you know, IDSA service time is very important to me. I'm not going to this is not something that I want to reduce, but it just means that I have to be strategic in how I do it and how I do some of the other things. Over time, I have been a lot better at the strategy with my no's and my yeses. You taught me some of that. I think you and I talked about that. You know, it's, it's really important to learn how to say no, because a lot of times there's plenty of opportunities and you say yes, and you have to really prioritize and you really have to decide what's in it for me, right? And how, how am I going to grow in this opportunity? How am I going to be Basically, what's 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 in it for me, right? Besides the opportunity, I mean, in some things we do without anything in it for me. We do it because we love it. But but learning how to say no, I think, is one one important strategy. And I think you know, I was going to ask you what advice you have for somebody considering applying for a position on the IDSA board. We already talked about some of those issues, but clearly, saying no to other things is important if you're going to do this. Yeah, I was involved in a couple of other committees. I was involved in some committees in other organizations. And some of them were like, I was very excited about those committees and even some leadership positions. And I had to kind of step back and say, okay, well, while I'm pursuing this leadership opportunity in IDSA, I need to step back 
from you know other organizations and you know I mean I'll circle back to it at some point it's not I can't I'm you know giving up on my membership but I can't be pursuing leadership tracks in multiple organizations at the same time and that was hard for me because I'm the type of person that if I agree to do something I'm going to do it even if it means that it's going to stress me out to do it I needed to make that decision to step back from other things in order to pursue this so that I would still have enough left of myself for me and also for my family. That has been, I think, the most important centering piece for me is continuing to ask myself, how much is left for my family? And so over these last several years, I have made very important decisions to forego things or, you know, so-called opportunities because I wanted to be with my family. I'm very excited. So the one thing that I will share with you, this is a small thing, but it makes me excited. On, so what, what day was it? Wednesday when I was traveling here for the meeting, I had a little bit of time in the morning and I had a couple meetings. You know, the meetings are important meetings to attend, but also it was it's Read Across America Week at my kid's school. And I wanted to go read, be a mystery reader for him. He's six years old. So I did that instead of going to meetings. That just was the most precious thing for me. Like I'm almost tearing up because he was so excited that his dad and I came and that we read and he was so proud of us. And we read a book about being a doctor and what kind of doctors are there. And he was excited to share with his class that he knew what a radiologist was and that he knew what, you know, different types of doctors were that we had read about in that book. I could have spent an hour and a half on a meeting or I could have done that and I chose to do that. And so learning about how to make sure that there's still room for me is probably one of the most important leadership lessons that I have learned along this journey. So you made a right choice. Absolutely. No regrets. (laughs) Again, you know, you and I talked about being on the board, but now you, I'm asking you to talk to one of our listeners who is maybe three out of four years out of fellowship, maybe in private practice, maybe in, in academia. They just saw the announcement of applying for leadership positions in the IDSA or the HIVMA board. What would you tell them? What piece of advice would you have for them? If you're not sure if you are right for the position, ask yourself, why not? These leadership positions are meant to represent our membership. If you see that yourself, who you represent, you are not seeing that on the board, then that might be an opportunity for you to see yourself there instead of, oh, well, somebody like me should be on there. Well, maybe that somebody is you. If you feel like you're too junior for it, you're not. I was the youngest member to be elected to the board of directors, but I don't have to stay that way. You could be younger than me. That would be pretty awesome. I hope that me going onto the board kind of when I was a little bit unsure of that particular aspect of it and realizing that the number of years since I finished fellowship had nothing to do with the actual value that I brought to the board was a really important learning point for me. And so people should know that being successful on the board is what you have to bring. It's not 
where you trained or where you're working or how old you are or how many years out of fellowship. It's what can you contribute to the future of infectious disease? And if you have something to contribute, then you should apply. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. And I want to personally thank you for your service to the society and in particular to the board of directors. It has been a pleasure to work with you on the board of directors. And I'm sure that you're stepping off the board, but this is not your last round with, with IDSA. IDSA has learned the value of you as an asset to the organization. And we will continue calling on you as we become a stronger and a better society. So thank you very much. Thank you.